0: Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. All right, welcome to the Chaplain Stories podcast. Uh, Just by way of disclaimer, I want to remind everyone that uh, the opinions that we express here are my own or the opinions of my guest. And I'm very happy to have a guest with us today uh, here at the Main Post Chapel at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, He came in to do some some training with us, and I just had to grab him because he has a career that spans an incredible amount of time. In fact, uh, sir, what grabbed me about it was... You said the year that you came in was 1983. That's right. Yeah. 1983. Yeah. So uh, if you could just uh, tell us your name and uh, your current position or the last position you held before you retired.
1: Very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm Chaplain Ken Sampson. I am the Guideposts Publications uh, Guideposts Outreach Military Liaison. So I go to different posts. We, we travel once a month. It's a part-time position since I retired. And uh, usually I travel with Dr. Pablo Diaz, who's our ministry outreach vice president, and we go to different post bases once a month and uh, tell the guidepost story. Uh, I retired in, uh, let's see, two and a half years ago out of uh, the defense, uh, let's see, uh, National Defense University there at Fort McNair in Washington, D.C. It was a For two years, I was there as a senior military fellow with ethics and leadership. We had two positions. One was for a chaplain, and one was for a Navy staff judge advocate, a Navy JAG officer. And then we were part of uh, Dr. Al Pierce, uh, part of his ethics uh, section. So it was a wonderful and so uh, were you an instructor while you were yes, there? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was something uh, the first um, the first year was taught a course uh, elective in religion and security and then went down to different uh, places to conduct some ethics uh, seminars uh, down to the schoolhouses um, over with the Navy uh, special ops folks uh, different different places. And then the next year was an adjunct faculty member in the Eisenhower School, which used to be uh, um, the Eisenhower School, which is one of the uh, colleges there of the university. And that was with strategic leadership, Uh, fun time, fun time. And then that religion and security. And then another course was an elective, uh, the spiritual dimensions of strategic leadership.
0: That sounds like it would be fascinating. Uh, It was
1: wonderful stuff.
0: Well, let me ask you this, sir. Um, So you became, you got into the chaplaincy in 1983, Mm -hmm. um, which is the year I was born. And (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. Um, And so what did you do before you came into the chaplaincy?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was for seven years, uh, after seminary, um, I worked two years as a re- uh, re- admissions officer for a small college in our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, out of northwest Iowa, um, and I traveled in the states around Iowa. But then uh, for seven years was a uh, chaplain and Bible teacher at Southern Normal School in Bruton, Alabama, Southern Normal is no longer in in existence. We had about 150 students. Uh, I was a coach with, uh, I helped out the football team, the junior basketball team, the baseball team was would coach these. And then was chaplain. That's where I met my wife. We were both volunteers, home missions. You know, we were, uh, it, it was large, well, it's an African-American community, uh, all our students and uh most of our faculty, and we saw, it was something, we saw so many of our students leave this small town in Bruton and go into some branch of the armed forces. Hmm. And I had never served, uh, in, uh, I had gone to college si- 66 to 70 and then seminary 70 to 73 had not served that whole time of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in, in school. And I had a high lottery number and stuff. But but there was always kind of this inner patriotic duty. Mm-hmm. Thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing all those students going in, and we realized that we needed to go into some other area, and there was a need for chaplains in our denomination, so we came in. Yeah.
0: Wow. So that, that just brings the, the whole time frame uh, back yeah. around for me because uh, so you probably saw a lot of uh, a lot of people who would have been your peers then who who served in, in Vietnam.
1: That, that's right, uh, that, That's right. Um, and even today, I think the welcome which we all receive, all these deployments, OIF, OEF, mm-hmm. is a debt we have to those who are from the Vietnam era mm-hmm. who came back and were treated less than honorably by citizens at large. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I had uh, friends in high school that landed, were in the Navy uh, Army um, in, in Vietnam era. Uh, my brother... It's something my brother, he bought a 1963, um, 1963 Chevy. uh, It was an Impala four-speed two-door hardtop. It was the top of the line. It had a 348 engine in it. Big engine. Mm He big He got it because it was in an accident. He purchased a 327 Chevy engine from a guy we knew put in that that 63 uh, Chevy that guy ended up in Vietnam was killed hmm. the barber that cut my hair when I was in high school he ended up being drafted he was injured in Vietnam injured his hand couldn't barber anymore you know those those kind of uh, stories that Yeah, impact. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and you know, uh, it it, that weighs still so heavily on those Vietnam veterans. I know, um, I've done a couple funerals for Vietnam veterans, and um, you know, they that's that's still something that weighs on them. And I think you're exactly right. It's one of the reasons why uh, things changed so much for uh, people who served during that global war on terror era. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and not repeating that mistake as a culture that we made during the Vietnam era. Well, let me ask you this, sir. Um, So you started out in the chaplaincy in 1983, had some time uh, doing some other things before that. So what did your family think when you told them, you know what, I, I think I want to go do the chaplaincy?
1: I remember the day I called my dad. We were at Southern Normal. I called him on the phone and he says, Oh, Ken, not the Army. <laughs> that was his first words. Yeah. And, and my dad, you know, my dad is my hero. He's, he served in the Navy. He was a sheet metal mechanic in uh, World War II, and he worked on these B 24s and PBYs and all this stuff. And it was something that was his initial response. But the next day or then a couple days later we talked and he was, he gave me his blessing. Wow. And uh, and now there's another thing too here. Uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, we've known we've gone to church since he was, uh, we were about 11 years old. And uh, this was about 20 years ago. We were out in the backyard of a place where my folks were living in Southern California. This guy, his name was Larry Reardon. He was a helicopter mechanic during the Vietnam era, but he was in Europe for his, his uh, enlistment. And he told me, he said, you know, Ken? he said, Kenny, you know, Kenny? You're the last guy I ever figured would be a lifer. <laughs> last guy, I, I, just because of who I am and stuff. But the Lord works in kind of mysterious ways. Wow. So um, what was your first unit? A division artillery. I was a deputy division artillery chaplain or assistant division, divardi chaplain at Fort Ord, California, 7th Infantry Division at the time. Um, the division, once I arrived uh, about six months later, went light. It was a heavy division. We had these 115 howitzers, big howitzers, One nine or eight, excuse me, and then as uh, we transitioned to light, then went to the one five five, and um, so the physical dimensions of the division really geared up after Mm -hmm. about five months, and uh, I was there with uh, Devardi for four years. You mentioned uh, about the reaction of our family. When my wife, uh, when we lived, uh, we lived off post for the first seven months, Mm -hmm. moved on post, and she said, this place is a fascist state. Every house is the same color. Every building, all the garbage cans are the same. You know, she just said, this is a crazy place. But in the providential hand of God, It was like she became involved with PWOC and working with different uh, families, wives. And uh, it was like her hands-on ministry has been greater than mine.
0: Hmm. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I I live on Post as well. Um, This being my first duty station. um, And one of the biggest blessings for my family and I has been being involved with chapel yeah. and yeah uh, just in terms of, of my ministry it's expanded beyond the walls of yeah. my unit and yeah. my wife has gotten to know people families who I've yeah. in turn gotten to know and been able to minister to, who we never would have got to know otherwise yeah. if we'd never uh, lived on post or plugged into one of yeah. the chapel communities. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it's been such a big help to us just in terms of getting integrated yep. into this Army culture. Yeah, good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful.
0: So um, Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of what you've done as a chaplain. And... You know, I I think back in my short time so far, uh, and I've got a pretty good idea on these, but I want to know what was the most physically challenging thing that you did as a chaplain?
1: Well, that question to my uh, 82nd Airborne and all all my friends that have uh, master blasters and all this stuff. For me, it was airborne school. Hmm. I just... That was the physical, most physically challenging. I, every jump I made, my harness, it just was. It seemed like it was too small for my body. And it got my groin area, and it was painful every jump. Hmm. I mean, it, it was, but in the providential hand of God, made it through. I tell people I had my five jumps. I don't care whether I ever jump out of an airplane again. That's did, who I, you know, that's who I am. I'm kind of a leg guy. Did you ever have to jump out of an airplane again after No, that? no, I didn't. I, I did some repelling, a lot of repelling and okay. stuff like that, but no. Well, what about uh,
0: spiritually challenging? What was the most spiritually challenging uh, thing or event that you've encountered as a chaplain?
1: Well, I think this will probably change. Uh, the what you, the, the response to the question would change from day to day. Hmm. You know, just what pops into my mind, but... I think for me, I was, uh, I went to uh, civilian schooling um, in uh, world religions. Uh, it, it was something when I said I'd like to go, no, when I responded favorably that I was going to, that I ex- would accept civilian schooling, it was going to be an ethics. Position. Well, that's all, that's down my alley. But it was, came back a couple weeks later and it was World Religions and do you still want to go? And so I talked to my wife and yeah, yeah, we'd go because it was going to Princeton Seminary. Well, I go to Princeton, that's like going to heaven, you know. Right. Side. But as it came closer and as I started that World Religions master's program there, I I had known you know, these were tumultuous, what, tumultuous times, uh, sixty-six to seventy-three, when I was in college and seminary. By that I mean there was protest. There was uh, we, I went to college at Santa Barbara, Westmont College, small school up in the foothills. People, it, it, it was it, it was wild stuff, and I. I, I, to start that world religions program, I wanted to make sure, ensure that with all this study in other religions, I didn't lose the heart for the gospel and for that relationship that God had bestowed on me. Hmm. I just didn't want to lose that. And so I said, well, so. But but that was the most spiritually challenging. And in the providential hand of God, we became members of Bell Mead Reformed Church, which is north of uh, Princeton in New Jersey. Every Sunday, I went to a Bible study, men's Bible, prayer Bible study on Tuesday morning, sang in the choir. But then on Sunday morning, would attend worship. It's... it's, uh, Reformed church uh, part of our of the denomination that I'm endorsed with. And it was the liturgy of the church worshiping in a historic sanctuary that week in and week out just reaffirmed my faith. Hmm. That it was a precious thing.
0: You know, that's that's something that uh, that I love about being a chaplain is I get to interact with Brothers and sisters from other denominational yeah. backgrounds, right. Right. and uh, you know my my background is is Baptist, and yeah. sometimes I we, we Baptists we lose out on some of the uh, of that that historicity and those yep. old uh, church buildings, yep. and and I'm with you right there. Sometimes you just walk into one of those, and immediately you just feel like you're in a holy place. Yeah. You feel worshipful, Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that's that's really incredible to have yeah. those opportunities. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: What was your your toughest day in the chaplaincy?
1: Toughest day? Um. I I think it was uh, I was the uh, CJT of Combined Joint Task Force One Eighty. I was a senior chaplain in uh, Afghanistan, 2003 to 2004, for 11 months. Uh, I was a division chaplain with the 10th, and then our we were deployed. Um, it was in Bagram. Our headquarters was, um, we were in a, a two-story Soviet building. Um, our cash hospital, our tent hospital was about a hundred yards, maybe 150 yards away from that headquarters. Uh, our Sergeant Major came in uh, he, and whenever he'd come into my office, every time he'd come in, I have to say, every time he'd come in, he'd open that door. It'd be something that would cause the, the color to drain out of my face. Uh, it was usually some serious stuff. And, and this time it was, uh, there was a, uh, uh, eight soldiers were killed. One of the units that uh, was from the, the 10th, I knew the battalion commander, I knew the, the chaplain, and, uh, but eight, eight soldiers were killed. And they were coming in, it was incoming. Because they didn't know whether everybody was, they didn't know the status, Uh, and so it was incoming to the hospital. The uh, helicopters were coming. Well, our hospital chaplain was on leave, and the plan was okay, if something comes up, uh, I would, for a variety of reasons, why. so I enlisted the assistance of, uh, of uh, one of our Catholic priests and we, uh, we officiated, uh, well, we provided religious uh, ministration from the time those soldiers were carried through the entrance to the time they left. Their body bags covered with the national colors. And through that all. And then I was the, uh, as a senior chaplain, I was the guy who led the solemn, um, the solemn hum the.
0: Is it the, uh, the ramp ceremony? Yeah, it, yeah, that's correct,
1: yeah. And it went from the far side of the airfield down Disney. It was about a, maybe three-quarters of a mile walk in front of the eight Humvees. I was just in back of the battalion colors and the, the national colors and the battalion commander. I was the next, uh, because I, I always... Uh, I respected him a lot. Continued to, and I just kind of focused straight ahead on him. But anyway, went to the whole, led that, that whole procession and then, then ramp ceremony. And like that. Hmm. that was the hardest day. Wow, well, it was a week, but the hardest day was that day. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, you know that's, and and that's such an important thing that that chaplains do is is being able to to be there. During those difficult times, yeah. um, and and I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, I, I've talked to other chaplains just offline, and and many of them have yeah. have stories like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, outside of outside of our military context, not a lot of people not a lot of people know about that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I, I appreciate you sharing that. Well. Let's turn the tables a little bit. What was your most rewarding day in the chaplaincy? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I I thought two things, you know. And again, this is where I am right now. My most rewarding day um, in the chaplaincy, because I'm, I'm, I'm one of these guys who in certain ways I never did hang up the uniform because I'm here with guideposts. And I, at times when I was wearing the uniform, I, was, I looked askance a little bit at, at folks who were doing that. But again, in the providential hand of God, that's where we have been called. And it's a great privilege and pleasure to be able to do what we do. But anyway, most rewarding day. I went in Fort Belvoir to PX. This is about a year ago. And here were a couple of sergeant majors. They were in their their camouflage uniform. A couple of sergeant majors, they didn't know me from Adam. And I looked at those sergeant majors, and I said, you know, Samson, at one time you were credible with those non commissioned officer leaders, and it was one of the most rewarding. It was very rewarding. So, uh, even today, <laughs> I'm over at the swimming pool here, at uh, I was I, I did my my knee is is bad, so I don't uh, run, and. Uh, so I, I did my laps, and so I'm swimming for about fifty minutes. In and, uh, and these guys, nobody knows me. So I say goodbye to the kind of a lifeguard, and he says words to the effect: "He says, have a good day, Sergeant." And it was just there's that kind of credibility that. So so maybe as I said, you're getting me on this date. But I, I think the most rewarding day, though, I have had, as both a chaplain and as a citizen of our nation, it was 2002, the first deployment that I had to Afghanistan. It was for roughly seven weeks. There was a firefight out at my, uh, on the Pakistan-Afghanistan border, and uh, One of our, it was special ops folks. One of them was was killed, and it was all, but it was my, it was my first involvement in you know, in, a, in a your first kind of real thing. Of what's what's going on with combat? So I was uh, I was the uh, the task force mountain chaplain. So these these guys came back, and again it was the same kind of area where the cash hospital was. So I'm, I'm working with the folks. Um, a couple days later, uh, our chief of staff, he says, you know, our, our CG, the commanding general of the 10th Mountain Division, he, uh, he's been kind of under the weather. Uh, so we sent him down to the cache. We sent him down there. You might want to go down and visit him. <laughs> At the time, it was Colonel Caslin, Robert Caslin. You know, you're you know, man. So I said, okay, so I go down to the hospital. I go in to see our general, commanding general. And I walk in this tent city, kind of, tent, you know, tent. Area. And here is, is you're in this, this hospital, you have beds and stuff. Well, here's, here's this little kind of enclosed bed with a soldier standing right here. And let's say the soldiers here, right? And here's this little enclosure. I go see, I go see the commanding general, and he, hi, you, Captain? You know, he, he just still, he just, he's, he never lost his game face. Every time I've ever seen him, to this very day. But there he is. He's, he's recovering from kind of bronk. It was some, uh, some sort of uh, illness that he had. He was recovered. There was a bed, well, maybe it was the corner, so it's about 12 feet away. And there was one of the Taliban guys that was in this firefight, who was hiding in some grain, grain, and so he was not killed. You know, he was wounded, but he was not killed. And that guy, I, I, I won't give the specifics of it, but that guy was receiving the same quality of care as our commanding general. And I just, he was, he was not a citizen of uh, Afghanistan. He was a citizen of one of our allied countries. And I said, wow, isn't that something? The same quality of care. Now, maybe it was for, you know, intelligence or whatever, stuff like that, but still, the enemy prisoner, the enemy detainee, the the guy was getting the same quality of care as the commanding general. I said, wow, that, you can say anything about it, but that was, to me, the best.
0: That, yeah, I mean, that is what you hope, especially us as chaplains, is one of the things that we can maintain in our military yeah. is our honor, yeah. um, in how we treat, um, enemy combatants, right, right. um, treating them yep. with respect oh, and with yeah. honor. Yep. Um, yep. And, and giving them medical care, yeah. the yeah. same that yeah. one of our wounded warriors yeah. would receive. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you a few more questions. What, I, I know your, your career spanned a, a pretty long time. What did you love most about being a chaplain? What what got you up in the morning and kept you going for all of those years?
1: Wow. Um, well, I think that that, that sense of uh, being uh, a credible presence to fulfill your ordination vows with this tremendous group of leaders that make up our armed forces. And I'm thinking of, by leaders, I'm thinking of soldiers or whatever rank. think of these officers. Um, and, and really, when you have the uniform on, I always felt... Really, I always felt when I put that uniform, not when I put the PT uniform on, but when I put that uniform on, the guys who were playing professional baseball with their uniforms didn't have a thing over on me. It was a sense of really pride in that uniform and pride in being able to, a healthy pride, to be able to fulfill your ordination vows with an institution had uh, these values.
0: yeah it, It's an amazing thing to be able to be uh, a minister in an organization like the yeah. like the United States Army yeah. and and the, the the credibility that comes with wearing the uniform. Yeah yeah um, absolutely. well what what advice would you give if you had a had a chaplain come up to you and he say, I'm brand new at this; just started. What what advice would you give him uh, in terms of of having a, a fulfilling ministry?
1: Yeah, um, I I think that comes back to when I did the uh, we had a joint lessons learned Jules joint uniform lessons learned that we submitted when we left uh that combined joint task force 180 chaplain or uh uh, uh, deployment so we brought the 10th colors back it was we brought them back and so you had these joint uniform lessons learned and i i wrote up a big i wrote up a personal after action review on personal leadership and then i wrote up a an extensive just a lessons learned from this holy. But the only thing I put into that joint uniform lessons learned was the importance for chaplains. And I, I don't recall whether I said chaplain assistants. I, I'm speaking directly to chaplains at this moment. Um, the importance for us to maintain our spiritual vigor, energy, uh, whatever, however you call it. That is the thing in the midst of everything, that we are credible. That as, there there was a, the chief of chaplains when I first came in in 1983 was Patrick Hessian. And Chaplain Hessian, he looked back on his, uh, there there was a key document, uh, Chaplain Ministry in the 90s. It was put out by the Schoolhouse Combat Developments where they interviewed these Vietnam era, uh, Vietnam serving chaplains. Um, and what were the important things. And I'll never forget this. Chapman Hessian. he wrote, and then I saw, when I saw him, I kind of knew who he was. He said, you have to believe that words you say are power-packed. You have to believe that when you're officiating with communion or the Lord's Supper, that this is something that's supernatural is, is, is occurring here. And I would think for us all that we do not lose that, I would say, Holy Spirit fire mm. in all the ups and downs and everything that goes on. I think that's what it. Is. I think that's,
0: that's really helpful, uh, especially, you know, you consider, you look at any, like your pew or gallop, and, and in a culture that is, that is trending more secular to mm. especially maintain that spiritual identity. As yeah. a chaplain, yeah. it, it, it's more. It, it's just so important to to have that as a chaplain.
1: And uh, and that phrase trending towards secular, yeah. I, I think that's it. It's it, that's it, good. Good for you, um, because that is what people. Those who are credible with their ordination vows, that is what our soldiers, that's what our family members, that's what our Department of Defense civilians, contractors. They're looking for people who are members of the cloth that have that sort of credibility that then can draw towards. Right.
0: Yeah. Building off of that um, and now looking at the, the military and the chaplaincy uh, from the perspective of a, of a retiree, mm-hmm. what do you see are the biggest challenges uh, that face chaplains in the chaplaincy going forward?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I hesitate maybe to answer, answer this question. It's kind of a loaded
0: question. If I I I was working with,
1: (laughs) if somebody was a a clinical pastoral education trained chaplain, would really bore down on me, you know, (laughs) get get some stuff out of me. This this is what I think in response to that question. I I think the biggest uh, challenge is that as we come into this privileged institution of which we're a part, as those who have ordination vows or some credentialing that our faith group has given to us, that we come in and, and are so focused on our rights, religious ministration, responsibilities, that we lose, um, we lose the sense of appreciation and enrichment that comes from serving with people of so many denominational backgrounds, also faith group backgrounds, and that. Um, that that becomes mud, kind of and and we then we we lose out on our opportunity to serve you know, our constitutional mandate to serve all of the folks that are within our our command. There's a great richness there. And I, 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 just from things I kind of hear, and the the way you can't with the media, and who's running for office today, people are, oh, I want my own stuff, you know. And and that in that process, you can you can be broad and, and enriched, and still give credibility and testimony the faith you hold dear hmm. and in the process you draw this to the faith
0: yeah I th- and i that's think I that's that's very helpful because you would hope that we would be confident enough in our own faith sure. um in our yeah. you know uh, whatever our background is uh, our endorsers yeah th- I, most of them i think send us here um having gone through some sort of certification right. or ministry experience, yep. that that coming into the chaplaincy, we would have confidence in our own faith that we would not feel yep. afraid uh, to interact with chaplains from yep. other denominational or faith backgrounds yep. uh, and to take care of our soldiers. Yep. Uh, and for those who who don't, uh, who don't know the, the kind of the, the mantra for chaplains is perform or provide. Yeah. Uh, so as chaplains, if within my denominational, uh, background and restrictions, if I cannot perform a service for a soldier, then I try to find someone who can provide that service. Yeah. Uh, and in so doing, I build a relationship with yeah, that soldier. Do. Yeah, you do. And, um uh, And I really appreciate that Uh, in a, in a very diverse uh, military environment. I think that is key for chaplains and our credibility. Yeah, Good for you. Well, uh, I'm here with Chaplain Ken Sampson. Uh, He's a retired Colonel and uh, Chaplain Sampson. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk with me today. I know I just kind of grabbed you out of the blue, uh, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Wonderful to have the privilege and wonderful to see the uh, the sense of uh, the future is in good hands with chaplains like yourself. Well, Seriously. I, I yeah.
0: appreciate that, sir. Thank you. And for our listeners, uh, the best way to get the word out about this podcast is if you've got any friends or family who are interested in the stories of chaplains, uh, share it with them on Facebook, send them a link in an email, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and uh, and we'll look forward to talking to our next chaplain in the very near future. Thanks for listening.
1: flame, wherever the call